Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 48. I'm Christina Suzama, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me again as I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities of helping each of us find balance in our individual journeys. We are always excited to meet those who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. And uh, when I am interviewing our special guests at any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment just by scrolling down on scrolling down on your screen and typing in your comment or question into the comment box and make sure you press submit. And in doing so, it will show up on my screen and I will share that with our guest. And if you prefer to ask it personally or have any questions personally, please feel free to join us by dialing into our conference line at 323-476-3672. Again, 323-476-3672. And your ID to um, dial in is 607-393-POUND. Again, 607 607- Three nine three pound, and just to let you know if that was a little too fast for you. That number will actually show up on the screen during our show. So, without further ado, our special guest today is an individual who I met at the Natural Products Expo West last month here in Anaheim, California. Now, I was very moved by her story, the story of her journey with her father that inspired her to write her book a turn for the worst, and also to create an amazing product called Liquid Hope, the first Whole Foods meal replacement. I would like to take a moment and welcome Robin Gentry McGee to our show. Hello, Robin. Hello. (laughs) Thank you, Christina. So I I hear it's uh, pretty stormy out there by you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Internally. <laughs> no, it's all good. Actually, it's beautiful today. The storms are coming and going though. Oh my goodness. Well, you got to fly out here to Los Angeles. Come on back out this way. <laughs> Please. Thank you. That would not be soon enough. <laughs> um so Robin, again, thank you for honoring us today and um, can you share with us uh, a little bit of your history and your background, like where you were raised and and how you came to be where you are today? Sure, absolutely. I um, starting at the very beginning. My um, I was born in Ohio, and I lived. Um, we moved to my parents were from Tennessee, close to Nashville, so I grew up um, somewhat in Tennessee on. You know, my both sets of my grandparents were both farmers. And so um, then we moved back to Ohio, where I've sort of been transplanted to ever, ever since. And um, I think from growing up with a lot of uh, family who worked the land, it kind of came in, into my blood um, and ended up being a large part of what I've done with my life is um, all things that have to do with food, basically. It's where I've landed. Mm. So so did you have to work on the farm while growing up as well? No, well, sort of. I mean, you know, we would help, help in the garden and help with the canning and, you know, spend hours and hours and hours on the porch breaking beans and <laughs> getting things ready <laughs> for canning. And my, my grandmother, you know, those were the days where they, that's what they did. You know, my, um, she would get up at 5 a.m. and, and um, start cooking this huge breakfast from scratch. You know, she had one of the old cabinets where you grind the flour and then make the biscuits and, you know, about 20 different ingredients for breakfast. And my grandfather would go off to work and then she would start making lunch the same way. So everything was made from scratch. They butchered, they grew. I mean, you know, it's what people have gotten back into that it sort of skipped generation Um, with my parents. My mother, you know, could not get out of that situation and find hungry man dinners fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Oh, isn't that funny? Canning, my goodness, because, you know, being raised myself in Vancouver, Canada, you know, we have the strong seasons as well. And I can remember Mm -hmm. in the summer, 
going into the Okanagan Valley and buying flats of fruit and everything and bringing it back to Cannes. So we'd Absolutely. have wonderful fruit in, this, in the wintertime, you know. I know. Isn't that wonderful? And, you know, I remember my grandfather would take big bushels of vegetables and fruit down to the farmer's market at the courthouse on Saturday mornings. You know, now farmer's markets are, you know, thankfully over the course of the last few years, they're becoming the thing to do again. So it's interesting how we're kind of going back to the origins, I believe, somewhat in this country. And I think it's a really good thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's my favorite time is Sundays at the farmer's market. <laughs> Absolutely. Mine too. Yeah. The only difference is now living in Southern California, we kind of get our fruits and vegetables year round now. I don't need yeah. to can. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Lucky you, right? <laughs> so how, what a lovely background that is and uh, to grow up with such great, great food and such a grandmother that uh, believed in that and was willing to wake up to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It was wonderful. So, so from that point, um, uh, what did you, what did you, areas did you go into in school or in your studies? Mm -hmm. Well, I have a degree in communications, but I have been, and actually when I was going through um, the program, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I've always done, I mean, I started cooking very young with my grandmother and making everything from scratch. So it came very natural to me. And I've never really used recipes. I love creating, just finding ingredients and throwing them together and seeing what I can come up with. Um, So I wanted something different. So I thought uh, communications would be good. And actually, I did a little bit of uh, just, you know, a couple of quarters of broadcasting and a friend of mine said, basically, you would make a great food stylist because you have all this food in your background and, you know, you're, you like communication industry. So at that point in time, I wasn't sure what a food stylist was, but I researched it and I thought, this is really cool. So I, then I began to work as a food stylist, and but I still picked up catering jobs and I was always in the kitchen. Um, I ended up working in a health food restaurant when I was pretty young and worked my way up to kitchen manager and then chef. And then I started working at a couple of different private health resorts as chef and really went back to catering pretty large scale. I was doing backstage catering for um, a couple of amphitheaters in the summertime backstage catering for musicians and artists that would come through. And then I opened a restaurant, an organic whole foods restaurant. Wow. When was that? That was, uh, it was 2000 and it was around 2000, I believe, when I opened it. And and I was about five years in business, but I really did it. I, you know, I I got the space because I needed a larger place to cater out of and I was doing (laughs) private parties. But, you know, we created a beautiful space and people kept saying, you should open, 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 you should open to the public and like a crazy person. I did. Okay. <laughs> and we opened for lunch and then we opened for dinner and then we opened for Sunday brunch. And, you know, before I knew it, I was working seven days a week, pretty much 90 hours, but I was the only organic whole foods restaurant in my town. And I had a very loyal following. So, you know, my customers became my friends and, um, it, you know, it was great. It was I I loved it, but it was just too hard for me. We uh, live on a little horse farm and we had horses at the time and I I wasn't spending any time doing anything else I loved. So I just decided to close a restaurant um, because I needed a break. You know, I needed to find balance and I really, really, really wanted to get out of the food business after that. You know, I swore I would never go near a kitchen again. (laughs) that was more than enough right (laughs) that was more than enough yeah but it was you know it was wonderful because that eight years later I still run into my customers and the first thing they say is oh my god I wish you would open another restaurant you know so it's nice to know that my restaurant made an impact on people's you know they remember it yeah that's wonderful so so is it still there or or not at all (laughs) No, 
what happened was it was a kind of a little strip mall area, you know, you know, a little shopping center and, and parking was an issue. And I was so busy that, um, all of my customers would take all the parking spaces and the landlords were constantly getting complaints from the other tenants. And after I decided to close, they said, no more, we will never let another restaurant come in here because there was too many problems. I was too busy. Imagine that. <laughs> well, I think they were very fortunate. It brought business. You know, it's funny because I a know. business like yours would bring the business in for the other people who, unless they're a fast food chain, they might not. <laughs> no, I mean, I wasn't. I mean, there was no competing businesses there. So, that, yeah, I thought that odd too. I mean, if, you know, one, I have the, I'm of the mindset that if one person prospers, everyone prospers, you know. So it, it was difficult. So, no, it's it's gone. <laughs> But, you know, what I did, that um, the name of my restaurant was Just Great Foods. And um, great. Before, before <laughs> I, it's great. Even before I had my restaurant, I was, um, I created a line of vegan and vegetarian organic whole foods entrees that I sold to various um, local grocery stores and health food stores. And, and that was, that brand was Just Great Foods as well. So I had my restaurant, which continued to be Just Great Foods. And now actually I have a line of soups that is co-packed by someone else. A local market actually produces them for me. I created the recipes and um, went in and worked with their kitchen staff. So now I still have, so now it's Just Great Foods from a Conscious Kitchen. But I still have that line, and but I'm not working as hard anymore, which is great. <laughs> well, bravo. Oh my goodness. We're going to have to collaborate with you in some form on foods. <laughs> um, I, I would love that. Um, so, so you became a chef, you had this restaurant and then you went actually further into foods and yes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I will. Um, kind of what the transition of where I am now and what I'm doing. When I closed my restaurant, um, very shortly afterwards, my father um, suffered a traumatic brain injury. And it was literally less than a month after I had closed my restaurant. And I um, that completely changed the course of my life. And he was in a coma. Um, basically, they said there was very little hope for him, and we should just pull the plug and let him go. I obviously didn't want to do that because I loved my father very deeply. And I started looking outside of the options that Western medicine was able to offer me. And I looked at numerous things, um, and I researched so many different modalities to try and um, address, you know, the coma, how to get him out of a coma. If he survives, you know, what do we need to do? And one of the things that I looked at, and this was many months into the brain injury, actually, I picked up a can of the food and I use the term very loosely that they were pouring into his feeding tube. He was on a feeding tube. Um, from the time he actually had the, the first surgery for his brain injury. So, so and, how long how long was he in a coma? Because because this was a head injury. Yes. And then you, you said that you started looking further into it many months later. So was he in a coma right. for several months? No, no. I looked into, early on I started looking into like the whole coma and rehab for brain injuries. Mm -hmm. So the progression was, he was only in a coma only. He was in a coma probably between eight around six and eight weeks, maybe, maybe nine weeks. Wow. Um, but, you know, I looked at various things such as um, doctors would come in and stand around his bed and talk about how horrible he was doing and how there was, little, you know, very little chance for him to survive. They would come in and put stick pens underneath his fingernails and toenails to try <gasps> and elicit a response from him so much to the point that, I mean, he had these huge bruises under his nails and I just lost it, you know, and so early on. And I believe that uh, even though people may be comatose, they can still understand mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what's going on around them. And based on research that I did, 
Um, you know, so I did things like ask the doctors and even visitors who would come if they had anything negative to say to go outside, you know, do not talk around his bedside. My father was a musician and he loved music. We would bring in CDs and play music for him. He was a singer. We would sing to him. So I did all of these things trying to, to, um, kind of stimulate his brain or let him know that we were there. And, um, so those were the things that I did early on. Even though I'm a chef, even though I've studied nutrition and worked in Whole Foods all my life, all my working life, it never occurred to me to look at the ingredients on the feeding tube formula. And that's why it took me so long. It was probably 12 months or more into his injury before Mm. I ever picked up the can. And I only did it one day. I was bored. You know, I read everything. I, I used to go with him almost every day and sit with him. And, and, um, I had read everything and I picked up the can one day and I read the ingredients and I flipped out. (laughs) The first ingredient was high fructose corn syrup. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I said to my mom, you know, this is why he's not getting any better. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, that's what I believe, you know, how can this, how can this help his physical condition, you know, or his brain for that matter? I mean, how is this supposed to do any good for him? So I thought it would be easy. I said, you know, mom, we just need to find a formula that's healthier, a real food formula. And I came home and I started doing internet searches. I looked all over, um, the town that I lived in, health food stores, markets, trying to find something for him. And what I found was amazing. Absolutely nothing existed. Nothing. I couldn't find anything. So I went um, and had a talk with my my DO, who is also an acupuncturist and, you know, aware of some things. And I basically told him that I wanted to create a feeding tube formula for my father. And uh, he was open to it. He said, you know, you need to find a good internist because my dad had 24-hour daycare. And I was able to find a doctor who said, you know, I really don't understand what you want to do, but it makes sense to me. You know, now that you explained it to me, I can understand what you're saying. So um, after I put a note in my dad's chart, basically saying that he wasn't responsible if I killed my father <laughs> for creating this feeding tube formula, that he would be willing to uh, to oversee the process, and he did. And then I started studying, um, looking at utilizing functional foods or the food as medicine model. So, you know, I looked at the various ingredients that had um, health-promoting properties, and uh, the formula that I put together, which we called Liquid Hope in my family, um, had a number of ingredients that I thought would be good for various things that was going on with my dad. And I made it. I figured out how to get it, um, the correct viscosity, the consistency for the feeding tube, which was no small feat. <laughs> it took, you know, it took a while to to work all the kinks out, um, and. We started giving it to him. We start. We replaced one can of the formula, of you know one one serving of my food of Liquid Hope with one can of the formula, and we worked up to um, probably transitioning over a course of a ten day period to let his body readjust to real food. And within six weeks, physically, he was a different person. Um, his the doctor that I was working with called up, and he basically said, "It's a miracle what you've done." And, you know, my reply was, no, it's no miracle. It's simply nutrition. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of what, what led to the work that I'm currently doing mm. with, with food. So, so your father, he, he actually stayed in the hospital. He was in and out. He was, it's such a long story. Um, and you can just tell me when, you know, he, he went, and the whole thing is so sad because he initially was, he was in, two different hospitals. You know, the second hospital was to get off the ventilator, to wean him off the ventilator. And from there, I tried to find, they basically said, take him to a nursing home. They didn't think that there was any, um, he was, that there was no, no, no chance of rehab. And I would not give up that fight. And I found one doctor who was willing to take him in at the Rehab Institute of Michigan, which is a great facility for brain injury, if I can say that. 
Good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're promoting something really good, so. <laughs> Maybe I should have said that. But um, when they took him in, they said, you know, we don't really know. We don't think that there is anything we can do for him. But, you know, one doctor saw something in his eyes and he said, we'll give it our best shot. My dad was there for 108 days, and he far surpassed any expectations. Mm. He did so great. And um, when he left, you know, when he was taken in, he was taken in on a stretcher, you know, pretty much still in a coma. And when he left, he was filled out in a wheelchair, waving, you know, smiling. And he um, was taken home, and the plan was to go to outpatient rehab and continue um, the, the process. He had begun to, to walk again. He, you know, he lost all ability with a brain injury. But um, when he was released from rehab, he was walking again on the parallel bars. Ooh, great. So he was home only one week. And um, I think it was, yeah, it was about seven days. And he became aggressive, which was not in his nature. And my mother wasn't sure what to do. It freaked her out. So she called the doctor and they said, bring him back to the hospital, take him to the emergency room. So they took him to the emergency room and they began to sedate him. Mm. And we were, um, Brian and I were on vacation at the time and, and my aunt had called and told me what was going on. And I tried frantically to get a hold of my mom and I finally did. And, you know, how is he doing? And she said, oh, he's doing better now. He settled down. Um, they've sedated him. And I said, I don't, something tells me it's not a good idea to sedate a person with brain injury. Just a thought. And she said, oh, it's okay. Doctor says it's okay. Um, so they admitted him and he had a urinary tract infection. And apparently the protocol for an older person with a urinary tract infection if they're admitted to the hospital because they do come aggressive, which is something I did not know at all then, um, was to sedate them. However, when questioned about, is this a good idea? Their response was, we're not, we're not treating the brain injury. We're treating a urinary tract infection. So over the course of 10 days, by the time I got back to Michigan, he was pretty much the way he had been the day he was taken into the rehab center. Wow, like back in a coma stage? Yes, he was pretty much coma. I mean, he was aware, but he was just not there. He decompensated so rapidly because they gave him, um, there was, over the course of 10 days, there was something like seven or 10 different um, Mm. medications, sedatives. I mean, they would try one and find it was too strong for him, so they would try another one. I mean, they were giving him, you know, antipsychotic drugs, all of these things that that just completely wiped him out. So we took him um, back to the rehab center and they tried to um, to work with him again and he was they were never able to bring him back to his baseline. So what they said was really you should just put him in a nursing home. There's again again, there is no hope for him. I mean, after all that, and he had such a will to live. I mean, he tried so hard, you know, it was such a beautiful process to, to watch him, you know, and the light and in his eyes when, and then it was just over. So, um, you know, my mom at that point, my parents lived in Michigan when my dad had the injury and she ended up bringing him back to Ohio because there were, you know, was more family around to support. So she just took him home, you know, with nursing care. And, and only after all of that is when I began to look at the food because I still wouldn't give up. You know, I still thought even though he was not meeting the measures required to keep somebody in rehab, that he still had a will to live. And I was willing to fight and do everything that I could for him to see how far I could get him. And, you know, we did. We were able to make, I mean, we were never able to get him back to the baseline that he had achieved after the first round of rehab. But um, he made a lot of progress with, you know, with a lot of different modalities that we found along the way that we could utilize with him, including the food. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So, so basically he stayed home with your mom with a 24 hour care. Yes. Yes. And um, is it, are, are you the, are you the only child? 
Now I have three brothers. And and when you started onto this mission of of trying to find alternatives or other uh, ways to support him, I mm-hmm. mean, was it? Did you have their backing, or was it tough? <laughs> I, I mean, I ask this question because quite often when yeah. people don't. Um, you know, we're we're so the society and the culture that we live in right now about you know the quick fixes all the time. It's not easy to talk people into taking a step back, taking a breath, and going. Let's look at this from the core level. It Absolutely. isn't, and I hear it so often from so many people who are making strides like you that these hurdles come yes. from family first. <laughs> in my family, I'm very different. And I don't know why we came from the same parents, which is always interesting to me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was always the crazy hippie girl, you know, that was growing herbs in her backyard and, you know, digging in the dirt. And, you know, I mean, I was just very <laughs> different. And and so when I started going down this road of, hey, I think that I can create this feeding tube formula for dad, they were like, oh, my God, what are you going to do? You're going to kill him. You can't do that. Seriously. <laughs> and I'm like, well, he's already dying. You know, I have to do something. So initially there was a lot of resistance, not from my mother. My mother was, you know, she was kind of, she was scared, but she was also too scared not to, because she knew we were, he was losing the battle very quickly. Right. Um, I would say there was more resistance initially from my brothers, but after very shortly after I started this process and they started seeing the transition and in his health, they were so on board, you know, and my dad was, he went in and out, excuse me, because various things would come, you know, would come up and, um, he was in and out of hospitals, you know, he kept getting recurrent urinary tract infections, you know, early on, um, sometimes. So he would be in the hospital for two or three days here and there, and they would always put him back on the commercial formula. And so mm-hmm. one of my brothers said to me, you know, after one of, one of the visits is how soon can you, know, we can, how soon can we get him back on your food? Right. So <laughs> they, uh, they, they changed their minds, but it was, it was tough. It was very hard. I, I felt very alone for a while. Your mother must have been ecstatic when she saw the difference. She did. I mean, and she, you know, my mom says that it, she, she totally believes that it extended his life for about three years. Wow. Three years. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Amazing. Um, now, of course, as uh, you were making up these concoctions, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And, uh, as you were making uh, these concoctions, um, do you you did it yourself, or you solicited help from dietitians or? I did. Well, I did it myself early on. I mean, I you have to understand, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I did a lot of research, you know, and and so in theory. So here's the thing, in my opinion, and this is how I looked at it, was. If he were healthy and he was eating, he would be eating three rounded meals a day, hopefully healthy. And so what has changed? You know, just because he's getting his nutrition through a feeding tube, why should he not still be eating a wide variety of food? I didn't understand. So that's the platform that I worked from was just if if I wanted him to have a healthy diet, what would I give him? So I first just started making it. And I again, I ran into resistance with the 24-hour nursing care that he had because, you know, they didn't understand what I was doing. And um, even though I had the support of my family at the time, and, you know, we do, there is something called patient's bill of rights, and we had a right to do what we wanted to, basically. But um, the home health care people, there you know, were a couple that were that understood it, but for the most part, um, they did not understand. So I finally decided that I needed to involve a registered dietitian to evaluate the formula to make sure that it was properly balanced nutritionally and that it had the proper calories, the amount of fat, the carbs, protein, that it would be okay to give him. And I only did that. I mean, I felt it was fine, but I needed to do that to plead my case for the home health care people. And I did, you know, so I began to work with a registered dietitian at that point in time. I, <laughs> is that hilarious? <laughs> yes. It's like first is the hurdle of family, then it's the hurdle of the yeah, nurses. The absolutely, absolutely. That's interesting. 
and uh, and what about his doctors? I mean, no, so so help me understand this. So since his initial injury, he uh-huh. had to stay with a feeding tube for the rest of his life. Well, again, you know, throughout the end, the, the, you know, I have this in my book because it was such a long, there were so many twists and turns along the way. So initially they told us he would always have to be on the feeding tube because what happens a lot with brain injuries is there is a, it affects a swallowing mechanism. Yes. And it's it's frequent that that happens. So because of that, they basically, the, the speech therapist always told, they said he'll always have to be on the feeding tube. I was, we were able to get him off the feeding tube at one point in time, you know, kept working with him and they do a swallow study to make sure everything's working properly. And uh, we kept working and took him back in for an x-ray for a swallow study one day. And they said, yep, he's swallowing just fine. <laughs> so we were able to get him off the feeding tube. What happened though, you know, you have to understand. Even though he did really great physically, the the brain he was it was a very severe brain injury, and he was in bed a lot. You know, he wasn't moving a lot, and and you know, we weren't able to do things at home that could have been done with him if he were in rehab. You know, because they're specialized and and the exercise and all of those things. So, um, you know, he had he had issues that kept popping up, and um, he never really fully gained an appetite after mm-hmm. the brain injury. You know, we would try to get him to eat, even though he could eat and, and swallow, he would eat little bits of food. So at one point in time, they put him back on the feeding tube after some occurrence. I don't remember what happened, you know, but again, it was a very long road. So he was kind of up and down. Um, so he was off for a while, but then he ended up going back on the feeding tube. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and by this point in time, you had to make each meal each day. Well, what I started doing, because obviously that is very, very time consuming. And um, even, you know, I was working at home. I was doing it in my kitchen and getting it thin enough for the feeding tube, you know, took a very long time. It was a process. So I would make it about once a week to every 10 days and then put it in individual containers and put it in the freezer. Mm -hmm. So my mom could just then take out a day's worth at a time, gently warm it and then give it to him. So I did it about four times a month. Wow. That's a real dedication. And (laughs) So, so this whole process went on and, uh, when, when did you get to the point where you decided to actually make it into a product? Well, you know, I never really set out to do that. Um, what I found was I saw such rapid healing, you know, physical healing. The difference was night and day, even with my dad, um, things that were going on with him before the brain injury, because his diet wasn't that healthy. He's from the South and he loved Southern food. <laughs> and so um, all of these things that were issues before the brain injury, what they, what his medical team decided through blood tests were, were normalizing, mm. you know? So they actually took him off a lot of the medication he had been on before the brain injury. And you know, that's when I started looking at, you know, there is really something to this. And I ultimately felt that that his, his trauma and suffering was a gift for me because I then knew what I needed to do with the rest of my life, which I thought at that time was to um, work with nutrition and food and try and help people find a healthier way of being through diet. So I went back to school at that point in time and studied um, integrative nutrition, and I did a healing with whole foods program in California, and I studied with the Mind Body Institute in D.C., their food as medicine program, and I set out to just start working, um, doing consulting and teaching cooking, working with my community in, in that respect. But what happened was I started getting a lot of requests for this feeding tube formula. People found out what I had done and the amount of emails and phone calls that I began to receive was unbelievable. So I thought, you know, I need to try and, and make this available so um, other people will have an option, which you know, I knew what it was like not having an option. So that is when I set out to try and figure out how to commercialize this formula and get it on the market. Mm-hmm. Wow. And 
As I, I keep thinking of your book and the events that you've gone through as, you know, a uh, turn for the worse, but uh, I truly feel that that turn for the worse is really a, a gift to society that you've come through with. I think it is, you know, and, you know, my dad, as I said, he lived for three years and he passed and, you know, even his, his, the, what happened to him at the end, you know, was, was such a tragedy, I, I believe. So, um, the only comfort that I have in the whole situation, because it's still, you know, I think about it and it's so heart wrenching because, because my dad was such a great person and just to see his life change and my mother's life change and all of our lives change in one moment, one moment in time, that the only thing that I hold on to that I can make sense of it all is this, what I am doing now is my father's greatest gift to the world. And I honestly believe that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so the gifts that come out of our hurdles. Okay, this is uh, Robin's book, uh, A Turn for the Worst, which is a very easy read. I mean, it's it's a lovely read, uh, Robin, um, that takes um, takes you through her journey with her father. And through it, she gives so much information. Um, I, I love the page of the breakdown of the medications yeah. and the side effects, which... You know, I'm reading this and I'm going, oh, I wish I had this a a few years ago. (laughs) Because I'm looking at it going, oh, I like this comparison here. And you know how many friends of mine are on Ambien? (laughs) Exactly. And do they know what it's doing to them? (laughs) Exactly. You know, the buildup. And and really, it does, uh, they may not feel it at a younger age, but it does build up in the system, I believe. Absolutely. Um, But also, the the wonderful... um, uh, the way you've added what people need to know immediately, like the patient's bill of rights, mm-hmm. you know, the way you have just laid it out so perfectly for everyone so that they know what they are able to do for themselves Absolutely. or their loved ones. And I, I mean, I would suggest people read this before anything happens. <laughs> yeah. Quite honestly, I mean, because when things happen, the, sometimes your choices and the decisions you have to make are fast and furious. Absolutely. So rapid. And you, you, you and, the, and you're in shock. You, you can't even, you can hardly keep up with the day to day of what you have to do and, and, you know, what's before you and trying to make decision that's going to impact the outcome. You know, most of the time of your loved one, it, it's just, it's very difficult to do. I remember early on the first hospital that my dad was in, this woman came up to the nurse's station. We were sitting there in the waiting room one day and she said, she just walked right up and said, I am so-and-so's daughter. I am going to be your biggest nightmare. You better answer my questions. And I was like, oh my God. But you know what? I now going through what I went through, I completely understand where this woman was coming from. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, it's uh uh, there's one page here that I'm looking for, which is about all the different um, oils and vitamins that you also have listed here. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful what you've done. It, it really helps everyone to see things so clearly. Um, what all the the different su- supplements and and support that they might mm-hmm. need and they might want to, to actually use. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, we put that there because we found, um, you know, some great information. It's all research. I think we cited all of the, the research on everything that we have listed. So we, you know, we're really, we're not making any claims. We're just, we're, we, you know, we put in the information that, that we found um, and the research to back it up. And even the, um, the drug chart, you know, the comparison chart that we put, mm-hmm. um, that is actually something that my husband created for a meeting with my father's neurologists because I was very convinced that some of the things going on with him were from side effects or and or interactions of, of some, you know, at one point in time they had him on 17 different medications. And they refused to believe that that could be the case. And I demanded a meeting. 
I have to have a meeting with you. We have to talk about this. And, you know, I had to go through many people who completely dismissed me and said, you have no medical degree. You know, you've been spending too much time on the Internet. I mean, they treat you like you have no no clue what's going on. And so we made the chart and we took the chart into a meeting with two neurologists and they looked it over. And their reply was, you know, in our 25 years of practicing medicine, we've never seen a patient experience this these things. And I said, well, have you ever looked? <laughs> have you ever looked? <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you know, right? You know, you're writing things off, contributing them to the brain injury. Right. How do you know they're not side effects? So what they did and after we basically said, we demand you take, start taking him off all medication that that's not necessary to keep him alive. So they started taking them off one by one. Amazingly, many of the things that they contributed to the brain injury started to go away. Mm, bravo, bravo. Well, and it's also, you're willing to take the chance as a family. Absolutely. You know, that that's huge because they don't want to be held liable for any... Absolutely. Okay. You know, and it all goes back to patients' bill of rights. And what many people don't know is you do have rights. And if the doctor, and you know, when you go into an emergency situation, you don't go in with your own doctor. You're assigned doctors that right. you've never met before in your life. They don't know you. They don't know your family. They don't know your history. And so you have a right, we all do, that if you're not happy with the medical care you're getting, you can fire your doctor and, and demand a new one. Mm-hmm. That's a right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, um, all to it, we, we have a show every Tuesday called The Magical Medical Tour. And <laughs> interestingly enough, my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman, is an emergency care doctor. So he's been there for a while. And though he also has uh, many years and of uh, studying um, the other philosophies of Eastern medicine as well, so he's now a medical guide. And he Not is nice. able then to work with people like yourself. You know, to, to create the balance, to say, you know, the, you know, the, I do believe that there are things in both uh, the allopathic medicine that is there for a reason. It's like if it's an Absolutely. emergency, you need to stop the bleeding, you need to do this, you need to do that. Great. All to you. But in time, as you say, it's starting to wean them off those items that are no longer necessary to keep that balance. Absolutely. You know, too much of a good thing, <laughs> you know, creates yeah. imbalance. Exactly. No matter what it is. Absolutely. Right. Right. Even with the herbs and uh, like if it's too much carrot juice, it creates a different, different uh, alchemy in the body. And that's exactly right. Yeah. And that's what people don't realize too, is, you know, even with supplements and herbs, there is interactions, there's interactions with medications. So, you know, you have to be very careful, you know, whether you're working with yourself or your loved one, you know, you need to, uh, consult with your medical practitioner or find a, a means of making sure, you know, what you're doing is, is it's going to be a good outcome, I believe. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so Robin, um, th- that's Robin's book that I just held up a little moment ago. And, and I just want to hold up the packet of Liquid Hope, which is right here. And I think the light, oh no, you can see it right here. It's, it's in one of these, like a foil packet. And this is one serving Yes, it's one serving. Uh I mean, it is amazing. Um, If those of you who are, you know, who've had other supplemental beverages (laughs) out there, um, this has, I mean, it's like garbanzo beans, green peas, carrots, whole grain brown rice, flax oil, uh, whole grain brown rice protein, uh, sprouted quinoa, a sweet potato. I mean, doesn't it sound yummy? Uh, <laughs> uh, miso, uh, whole soybean, um, uh, organic uh, rice koji, sea salt, mm-hmm. uh, Blue Ridge Mountain well water, even the well water. <laughs> those, are the, those are all the ingredients in the miso, actually. That's amazing. So that's the miso, yeah. The um, organic soybeans and the koji and the well water, all of those are ingredients that's in the miso. Oh, so, my god! You know, that's the other thing with the, uh, you know, the, the, I want to point out there's so much soy controversy, and I'm not a fan of processed soy at all, but um, there is a lot of research in, in using miso, and it's been used as 
as you know, and, yes. and cultures for many, many years for the healing or for the good properties, I should say. So, um, you know, we chose to put miso in the formula for, for many different reasons. And so um, some people look at it and go, oh, it's soy. And I'm like, it's soy from miso. It's different. It's fermented soy. Yes. And, and you know, what's very interesting is the soy products um, that, I mean, this is my belief because in Asia, you know, we've had tofu and a lot of soy props, soy milk for years and years. Yes. You don't hear of people becoming soy intolerant. Exactly. It's only in this country with all the, uh, it could be an overprocessing of the mm-hmm. food where, you know, in Asia, it's like you take the soybean, you boil it down, you wring it out and there you go. <laughs> That's your exactly. soy milk. There's no additives. There's no vitamins added to it. There's nothing, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, and if you want it sweet, you add the sugar. If you want it savory, you add the salt, you know. Right. It, it becomes and I think your you meal. have a good point. I think it's a very, yeah, the overprocessing probably. Yes. And the miso that we get from our friends in Japan that their aunts or the previous generation still make today it's it's preserved with the the wines and mm. everything is very and salt and very natural, very yes. different tasting from what yeah. you would buy off the shelf here. Absolutely right. There's no MSG, nothing. It's so yeah. basic, and then they grind barley into it and <laughs> so, mm, yum. Yes, it's a very good. So when I saw miso in this, I was thrilled. And yes, I mean you have broccoli, almond butter, kale garlic, turmeric, I mean, these, and ginger, wakame, mm-hmm. and vitamins. Mm-hmm. Everything is in, and this is a puree, isn't that right? It is, it is a puree. Um, it's actually created for, even though it can be used as a meal replacement, um, when people think of meal replacements, they think of something sweet because there's so many sweet beverage. <laughs> meal replacements on the market. So it's savory, obviously. Reading in the ingredients, you can tell it's savory. It's best if you're going to use it as a meal replacement. It's best eaten kind of warmed as a soup. Or I have used it um, with coconut water in the blender, you know, and Mm. kind of sweeten it up a little bit when coconut water is some good good properties. So, um, you know, you can make a smoothie out of it if, if you do that, or some people may like just drinking a savory drink. I guess it just depends. However, it is created for a feeding tube. So the viscosity, you know, it's a very smooth, very thin consistency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like drinking a, a broth. Yeah, not 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 as thin as a broth, but uh, if you've ever had one of those protein drinks, the thicker protein drink, that's probably what it's like. Wow. Yes, I, I have yet to crack this thing open and try it myself. Yeah, try it. <laughs> I'm reading the price. Going, oh, that sounds so luscious. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I was obviously the taste. You know, was not the first thing that I was going after. Well, you know, if it's which going through a feeding tube, oh, but if it's going through a feeding tube, they don't taste it, it anyway. It doesn't matter. Exactly. That's right. So you know, that wasn't the taste profile was not really on my radar when I got, yes. you know, we kept our, going through R&D and the final um, R&D prototype that I got back and I tasted it. I'm like, wow, this even tastes good. So double, you know, bonus, I can sell it as a meal replacement too. So we are, <laughs> it worked out great. That's wonderful. Now, uh, Robin, would it be okay to bring up the um, comparison chart that's on your sure. website? Yes. So that we can uh, at least show everyone. And, and uh, most of the, um, uh, the, the other uh, meal replacements, so to say, or supplements are, that are listed, um, as far as I know, all the five that are listed here are sweet. Yes, they are. <laughs> I remember them. You open the lid and that's all you get is this very, very sweet smell. That's right. <laughs> Exactly. And so, and of course, Liquid Hope is the first, is the first product. And, and the first check mark is a whole food ingredients, mm-hmm. which we can see Liquid Hope is the only one that has that. That's food. I mean, I think that some of them use powders, like dehydrated, dehydrated powders, you know. So, I, you know, what, what we... As far as we know, and we've done a lot of research, like we're the only one that had that uses real food. Yes, yes, I, I do believe that, and uh, you're the only one that is uh, 100% vegan and dairy free. I, I do remember reading a lot of milk powders and things like that in the other yes. ones. Yeah, yes, um, and of yeah. course, is gluten free, which uh, a lot of them are gluten free except for mm-hmm. one. 
Um, yes. And then, uh, yes, there's a there's a uh, topic these days on GMO, of course, which, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, another topic altogether that is uh, going around in this nation and hopefully yes. in other nations as well. Yeah, um, I think a lot in other nations. <laughs> yes, yes. They're starting to move very quickly on that, mm-hmm. on that matter. Um, and uh, complex carbohydrates, you're the only one who has that mm-hmm. in your product. Now, the calories is much higher. Yours is a 12-ounce portion Mm -hmm. as compared to everyone else with 8 ounces. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of them is 11 ounces, if I remember correctly. It's 111. The second to last, I think the Slim Fast uh, is, uh, is 10 ounces. Okay, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, so... um, Gram for gram, um, you know, we may be a little more nutrient dense as far as the the calories. Yes, yes. So it's not the difference is the calories are not made up of sugars. There's yeah, the big difference. So if you're, you know, yeah. I don't, I think it's like comparing apples to oranges, even when you're looking at the caloric value, because it's yes. a, it's just a very different way, right? You know, getting getting your calories. Um, so, so having looked at that, for those of you who have uh, people on uh, meal replacements, this is something that uh, would be hopefully very important to you. Um, now, my question is, because I have actually uh, shared uh, your product in the means of, you know, what, what you've done with uh, nurses and things like that, that I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, and now, how, uh, how long has this been on the market? We actually, um, in the shelf-stable formula, which is what we worked toward developing for a very long time, um, which is, requires no refrigeration, mm-hmm. and it has um, between 18 and 24-month shelf life at ambient temperatures. So basically, um, tell me the question again. I'm sorry. I was um, telling you the <laughs> Well, how long has your product been available? Oh, January. We, first, we just launched our first production run of the shelf-stable in January. Oh my goodness! Congratulations! So it Thank is you. extremely new to the public. It's, it's very new. Yes. Uh huh. Wonderful. And then, um, so th- that's the packet. Of course, I have in my hand because it's shelf stable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only one formula at this time. Yes, we will be doing other follow-up, you know, formulas, um, but we're just happy to have this one. Eight years, eight years to develop and get this on the market, so hopefully the other ones are not going to be that long. Well, congratulations. The first one is always the the most trying and... The learning curve, absolutely. Absolutely. You've built the road. You've paved it already. Yes. (laughs) Now it's all the window dressing along the way. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's wonderful. And then, um, and how can people get hold of it? They can go to our website, functionalformularies.com, and we're actually getting ready to put um, a web store up. It should be up this week, which people can go on and order it online. It's carried in some retail stores just locally right now, but we're out of it. We sold out of our first two production shipments in less than three and a half weeks. And I had no idea it was going to, um, it was going to sell so, so quickly. So we will be getting another shipment with, um, in about five or six weeks. So we will have our store up and people can go on and order. Wonderful. Wonderful. And then, um, and of course your book, I'm assuming is also available on your site as well. Yes. Uh huh. Wonderful. Um, now, my biggest question is, how does the medical society take to this right now? I mean, have you introduced it to a lot of doctors? Have you gone to like any uh, medical conferences and introduced your product? Mm-hmm. We went to an integrative health symposium in New York um, in, in January, and that it was welcomed with open arms. I mean, literally, I had people coming up to say thank you so much for what you've done. There's one woman who actually is an RN who runs a patient advocacy group nationally. And she said, I have been looking for this product for 40 years. Thank <sighs> you so much for doing this. And, and that's what we heard. Not one negative response from the integrative health community. But I will say, and you know, we've how this typically works, um, a lot of people want to bring this into hospitals. And uh, we're not in hospitals, but 
uh, family will call us up and, and ask, how do we get this in for our loved one? They'll take the information to the registered dietitian or the nutritionist and or the doctor and try and get approval to bring it in. We've had some medical institutions welcome it with open arms. I had one doctor call me up and same thing. She said, this is amazing what you've done. This is so great. You finally created this product. Thank you. But we have had other, um, a couple, only a couple, we've had a couple of facilities who have denied the patient's family to bring it in for whatever reason. Um, we've, you know, heard from one that we weren't an approved supplier, but they wouldn't tell them how to get approved. So, um, you know, I think there's two very, there are people who understand it and think it's wonderful. And there are people who can't understand the need for this. You know, they, mm-hmm. their response is, why would you want to give someone anything else other than this formula that we have here that the first ingredient is high fructose corn syrup? There's nothing wrong with that. Why would you want to change? And they're serious. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. Uh, I would be very leery of uh, going to that facility or even keeping my loved one in that facility. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, the thing of it is, is, is so many people still don't even, you know, yes. they don't even know. Okay. They don't know. Yes. And uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. So I am on quite a journey. I'm telling you, you know, I'm learning a lot. A lot, a lot. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, um, there is a, a question that popped up over here about the Nexty Award. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I would be thrilled to. We um, at Expo West, which which is where I met you, there is uh, something called the Nexty Award, which is given once a year, as I understand it, to, I think there are three categories. And 61, there were 61 products or 61 companies nominated this year out of, I don't, I think something like 6,000 people, um, products at, at the show. But we were nominated for a next day. Liquid Hope was nominated. Isn't that wonderful? That's, congratulations. That's wonderful. Now, how, so um, how, I mean, have they uh, given away this award yet or is it a voting system? How does that work? Yeah. Um, there, it's open for voting. They just opened up public voting a couple of days ago. It's um, and so the public can go on and vote. And then there's also an editor's choice award. So apparently there are two different awards which are given at the Expo East show in the fall in Baltimore. But I think the winner will be announced in June. So we're hoping that um, Liquid Hope, you know, can at least get a start out of the gate. There <laughs> you year. go. Well. Well, well, we'll definitely tell everyone to vote for you. So we go onto your site and we vote for you there, correct? Um, there's a link. I think there's a link on our, our site that takes you to the, the, it's the next, uh, it's called the next page, I think. But it takes you to the page where you vote. Fabulous. Well, we'll, we'll figure that one out for our people. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. I, um, I should have a link, but I don't have one up here. Yeah. Well, maybe what we can do is on our side, uh, for the YHTV side, we have the direct link to your website. And possibly what we could do is on that as well, we will uh, ask our viewers to vote for you and include that link. That would be awesome. Thank you. So that's wonderful. Now, uh, because we're coming to the top of our hour right now, uh, Robin, is there, what would you say is, is um, what would you like to share with people who might be going through what you went through or in similar fashion? Is there, is there the, something that you would really, really want to share with them and have them keep in their back of their minds or in their hearts just to keep focused and help them through their time. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, uh, for me, um, it's just, it's very, it's pretty simple. It's to never give up hope. Number one. And, you know, there were some dark days that we had with my father um, and Loving, you know, having such a relationship and and seeing this transition, it's very difficult. And I had a conversation with my aunt, um, and one day I was just very sad, and she said, "Robin, you know, where where there's life, there's hope." 
And I've always remembered that, you know, mm. so there's always hope, but also do not be afraid to ask questions because follow your intuition. If you feel something isn't right about whether it's the care, whether it's a medication, um, you know, we all have intuition. And if there's something that doesn't feel right to you, find out what what that is, you know, where where is that holding at and what do you need to do to feel at peace with the situation? And I think that's, you know, it's our inner radar. And if we do that, I think that, that we can't go wrong. Mm, wonderful. Thank you so much. Robin, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for sharing your amazing journey and story of your father. We're honored. It was very personal and you shared, you were so open to share that with our audience. And and, uh, you know, we feel very honored by this and also for this gift that you are bringing to the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and allowing me to, to share this with others. Christina, I appreciate it. So thank you. And uh, we look forward to following up with you and keeping up on things. <laughs> And I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We are grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live every Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time, 1.30 Eastern Time, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. Until we meet again, namaste. Namaste.